Philippians chapter 3, we'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, the word of God. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things is not, is, to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these have counted loss for Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks this morning for your goodness. We thank you for your love in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have opened our eyes to see something of the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, in this great passage, we pray that you would cause us to yearn for him, to desire him who is the desire of all the nations, pray that you'd give us a true spiritual hunger for your son, Jesus Christ, that we may learn of him and be taught by him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. I want us to spend our time in these few verses considering our Lord Jesus Christ. I've titled the message, Identity, Christianity. Identity, Christianity. And this is as opposed to genuine or biblical Christianity. I told our church that in our country with 19 million plus people, a small country in Africa and in, in South Central of Africa, where 80% of the people profess to be Christian, makes it very difficult to be a Christian. When you have a place where everybody is a Christian, when you have a place where everything is considered Christian, then you almost don't have Christianity. When everything is Christian, nothing is Christian. Your country, from what I understand, is similar to my country on this point. That a lot of people would say, I'm a Christian. But what they mean is just identity Christianity. And there was someone who was at a place where they only professed to be Christian, but they did not know who Jesus is, or probably have never heard the gospel preached to them properly, and they have never come under the weight of their sins, and being led to repent of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus, I would say to them, 
that Christianity is not, it's not rooted in just cultural identity or Christian identity. To identify with Christianity but not really knowing the God of this Christian life. Christianity, I would say to them, is rooted in the transforming message of the gospel. That a sinner comes to hear the gospel. He hears that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins. That he was buried and three days later he rose from the grave for our justification. That God had accepted that sacrifice. That it was a perfect sacrifice and satisfied the wrath of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, being convicted of our sins, our hearts being opened, we begin to see that our only hope is Jesus Christ, and so we run to Him. It's not something you conform to. It's not something you pick up a few rules and a few pieces and you patch them to yourself and call yourself a Christian. That's not what we do. In our text this morning, Paul was dealing with identity Christianity. In verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. It's not burdensome. But for you, it is safe. And he begins to give these warnings. Verse 2, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. If Paul did not think that identity Christianity is not dangerous, he wouldn't be writing like this. This is not the kind of language we use every day talking about people. We don't go around warning others about certain people and calling them dogs. We don't go around calling people evil workers. Now, there might be other mean terms that we might use, but most of the times, and probably, I don't remember if, I remember the last time you called someone a dog. When I preached this in our church, it was very easy for our church to understand because in Africa, dogs don't live in the house. Dogs don't even have a shelter outside. Might be difficult for you to maybe understand this because dogs here even have hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> no. And so when Paul says, Beware of dogs, he, his audience understood what Paul was talking about because of the kind of life that they had in that part of the world when Paul was writing in Europe and the Macedonia area. There was a lot of crime. And so people kept dogs. They were not just hunting dogs. They were security dogs. And so they would put a sign. This is what we do in Africa. You have a couple of dogs and you put a sign and say, beware of dogs. And so you knew that you shouldn't get close. You knew that you shouldn't go and break in into that house. And so Paul uses that language and tells the Philippians that beware of dogs. Was Paul Why was he so concerned? Because Paul believed that identity religion can kill your soul. And so we see the circumcision controversy 
in Acts chapter 15 where a group of men are going around preaching and saying that unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Paul and his companions are going around preaching the pure gospel that circumcision avails nothing but faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, these men were going around preaching a controlled gospel, telling people that unless they were circumcised, they could not be saved. And Paul, everywhere in where he went to preach and where he writes for us, he deals with false Christianity with all seriousness. And probably we also should. In Galatians... Chapter 1, Paul pronounces curses on those who were demanding circumcision as an addition to faith and repentance in Christ Jesus. They took what was supposed to be a sign of God's covenant with Abraham to be what makes one a true Christian. What was supposed to be a sign? They took that and said, you can only be a Christian if only you add this one more thing. Faith and repentance in Christ was not enough. And so Paul, as he's writing to this small church that he had founded himself in, at Philippi, being led by the Holy Spirit, they sail into Europe, and Paul first encounters a, a, a woman named Lydia. She was a widow, was a businesswoman, and she is converted miraculously. The Lord, the Bible records that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul and his companions. And then Paul, as he continues to preach, he's arrested and he ends up in jail. And while there, we see another miraculous conversion that the, the, the prison warden is also converted in his yeah. family eventually. And then the slave girl is also converted. Unusual circumstances. And also the most unlikely people. So can you imagine that the first church in Europe started with the most unlikely people? They were not the best of men and women. Yet God would set fine that part of the world with the gospel with this small, tiny group of people. Ten years later, Paul is in prison, and then he writes to them to warn them, that's where we are today, to warn them that they should beware of these men who are walking around preaching identity religion. There are many of us in our day who are preaching identity Christianity. Now you can just do a few things and look like a Christian and that is okay and it makes you a Christian. That is not what we want for our churches. That is not what we want for our spouses. That is not what we want for those we love in our lives. That is not what we want for our children. We don't want them to just identify with certain things and somehow have this false confidence that they are Christians. In our country like mine and yours, it's easy to identify yourself with Christianity and it's okay to not really be Christian. Paul is warning us against such a life. 
But how does he go about to help the Philippians understand what he's working against? He's arguing for a biblical understanding of circumcision. So if you look at verse 3, he begins by saying, For we are the circumcision. Now he's, he's just spoken against those who are saying that you must be circumcised unless you're circumcised, you cannot be a Christian. In verse 3, he's just spoken against them. And then he goes to verse 3, and then he reclaims the title. He says, No. Those are not Christians. We are the true Christians. For we are the circumcision. Paul is arguing for a biblical understanding of circumcision. That is a biblical understanding of Christianity. Elsewhere, Paul has already spoken, and I'll read a few verses here. Romans chapter 2 and verse 29. But he's a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And so Paul is saying to them that we are the true circumcision, not them. We have true religion, not them. Beware of those who tell you that circumcision is only outward. If you have that kind of circumcision, you're okay. Beware of those dogs. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul tells us, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So this is what we want for ourselves, what we want for our churches, we want for our families, and those we preach to, is that they would experience true religion. They would not just identify with Christianity and have a false peace, but they would really experience genuine Christianity. And for ourselves, as we live this life, this Christian life, we will encounter moments where we will be tempted to find peace in identity Christianity. And so we ourselves, we want to continue to soak ourselves with this understanding of true Christianity so that when we come to these difficult moments, we can find peace in what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul understood, understood that the covenant that God had made with Abraham whose sign of circumcision, and these men are saying, no, that's the real thing, that's what saves you. Paul says, no, it's just a sign of the covenant. But Paul also tells us that it is in that account in Genesis 17 that God preached the gospel to Abraham. It wasn't just God promising Abraham an earthly kingdom and that was about it. 
wasn't just God was just interested to come up with a group of people out of Abraham that he would put his special grace on them, but to give them just an earthly life, God was talking about the gospel, and that through that, he would create a church eventually, saved by his son, Jesus Christ. And we see the covenant renewed in Jeremiah chapter 31. Listen to what Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. We cannot give up Christianity because everybody else is calling themselves Christian. We need to reclaim it. And this is what Paul does. He doesn't, he doesn't give up and say, oh, let's just change, let's just change the words. Let's, let's not call ourselves, let's not even talk about circumcision. Let, let's find something else. He says, no, 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 no. We're going to reclaim the title. We are the true circumcision. Not them. Listen to what he says as he helps the church in Philippi understand biblical Christianity. Not identity Christianity. Not not identity religion, but true religion. He begins in verse 3, For we are the circumcision. And then he gives them the first attribute of a, Christ, of a true Christian. It says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. I want to circumcise you and get you to do certain things in the temple and begin to do certain things outwardly so you can find peace in the things that you're doing. Paul says, no, 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 no. We are the true circumcision and, and, and here's our identity. We worship God in the spirit. We understand that God is spirit. He has no form. He is not an image. The God is spirit. So we worship this, this unseen God. And we are content with that. Paul moves on. To let the Philippians know. That it is us who have embraced true religion. We worship by faith. His spirit, so we worship him accordingly. If you turn with me to John chapter 4, a very popular verse, which is also highly misunderstood from where I'm coming from. In John chapter 4, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, and we, when he gets to verse 21, listen to how their conversation turns around. In verse 20, the woman says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe 
Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now, listen to what he says in verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those of us who have experienced true circumcision, a circumcision of the heart, live by faith, not by sight. We are moved by God's truth. The things that He's given us and said about Himself, it is those things that move us. We understand Him as such and worship Him as such. We are the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit because God is spirit. We also worship God being led by the spirit. That means a lot of things where I'm coming from when you say that. People's minds begin to wander already. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 what life in the spirit looks like. See, God doesn't leave us, say things, and then leave us guessing what he's trying to say. In Romans chapter 8, I'll read this to you. You don't have to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 15, the Bible reads, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's the true circumcision being led by the Spirit. If we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we're not, our worship is not rooted in emotionalism. It's not driven by cultural trends. We are led by the spirit. And that also does not mean that the spirit comes upon us and all we identify him with is emotionalism. That's not what Paul is talking about. Again, we would have to go to John chapter 15 and 16 and understand what is the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. To teach us, to lead us, to help us see, to take that which belongs to Jesus and help us see the beauty of Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> These worship and spirits. In Malawi, typically on every Sunday, you can go to any church, literally any church. Just go to any church on a Sunday. You land at the airport, someone just say, take me to any church. You go to any church, and the praise leader, the person who's leading worship, will say something like, let's sing, first of all, praise songs. And this will be like rock, 
music. Everybody's dancing and and everybody's excited. And then they'll get to the part where they say, now it's time for worship songs. And it's the saddest tunes. That's how people understand worship. And what Paul is dealing with and is talking about is talking about a life laid by the Spirit on a daily basis. His focus is not, when he says we worship God in the Spirit, his focus is not Sunday morning worship. That's for identity Christianity. But the children of God, when they hear the words who worship God in the Spirit, are thinking about a lifestyle lived in the fear of God, led by the Spirit. The second part of that verse, again, Paul gives the Philippians a second attribute of true Christianity. He says, he said, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. This is beyond smiling, laughing, and outward happiness. And all those can follow. But he's saying that we are those who, the word there is, boast excessively in Christ. That we glory, we hope in him. Probably another word we can use there is talking about that we are those who are energized or strengthened by Christ Jesus. These are those that are gazing upon the glory of Christ and are being strengthened by him. This begins, starts with our conversion as we believe in Jesus, as we trust him, and going on to our sanctification. So as we gaze on the Son of God, he says, these rejoice in Christ Jesus. They boast in him. Again, the word that Paul uses there can be translated that they are proud of Jesus Christ. Are you proud of Christ? One of my great concerns today is that we hear so much and we, we hear people talk about a Christ-centered life, a Christ-centered church. We hear people talking about Christ-centered preaching and Christ-centered this and that. And most of these things have become just slogans. And they're not helping the church. It's easy to hear young people in Africa talk about, you know, being reformed and, and, and a Christ-centered living. But not honoring Christ in their lifestyles. Identity, Christianity. And some of these, some of these big names in our circles, in our reformed circles, have been made so popular that they have just become empty, meaningless slogans. Because we can talk about a Christ-centered life and put our slogans there.
But if we're not showing people Christ himself, the person of Christ and what he has done for us, it's empty. It's empty. It's a form, but it's void of its substance. That is not what we want for ourselves and for our churches and families. Here's a third attribute that Paul gives us in that text in verse 3. Paul says, We are the true circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We place no confidence in human activities. We're not seeking to advance our Christian life by seeking to have our own righteousness. We put all our confidence and we rest in what Christ has done for us. Our confidence is not in the things that we're doing. And I always start with myself. Our confidence should not be in the fact that we preach. Should not be in the fact that we, we teach and we evangelize and we do all these things. And all these things are good and we should do them. But that's not where our confidence lies. You know, it's a temptation of a preacher. And I go through the same temptation. You preach, you go home, and somehow you begin to feel like, see, God is really happy with me today. That, that sermon today. Hey, you, you relax there. You see, what, what you've done there, you've just put yourself in a big trap. Because next time when it's not a home run sermon, you're going to sit there at home, and the devil is going to have you for lunch. Our confidence is not in the things we do. Our confidence is not in, in, in these activities that we're involved in in our churches. Our confidence is in the finished work of Christ Jesus. And Paul begins to show them that if anyone has more, would have more confidence, it would be me. If it's according to the flesh. Listen to what he says about himself. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then he gives the best resume any religious person can ever think of. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, listen to this, which is in the law, blameless. So if it's a matter of achievements and things that we're doing, we cannot beat Paul. And then he would later on say, but all these things, I count them loss. My family homeschools. Where we are, it's just a handful of people that homeschool. Actually, when you tell people that you homeschool, everybody look at you and say, you mean you bring teachers to your house? My wife stays at home. Our church is an elderly church, which is also unheard of where we are. And, and it's easy to look at all these things that are good and we should be doing and just keep ticking off and begin to feel like we have, we have somehow achieved perfection. 
But amidst these good things that we should walk in obedience and honor God in these areas because these are things that are commanded that God has given us in Scripture, still our confidence is not in the things we do. Our confidence is, is in what Jesus has done for us. There will be no rest. There will be no rest for us if we place our confidence in the things we're doing. Right, let's, let's, find, let's finish with a few thoughts here. If we place our confidence in, in the things we're doing, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Yeah. It's good for us to honor God in the, all the things that he has entrusted to us. The message of the gospel, we must be stewards of that message. We must believe it and share that message, share that message with others. We must meditate on that message. He has entrusted us with a, a, a biblical understanding of whether it's family life and what it looks like to build a home, what, what it looks like to worship God truly as he would have, have us to, how to organize our churches. He's entrusted us with so much. We understand what biblical courtship is, what biblical marriage is. We understand parenting and family worship and all these good things. But let's not make them our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Because if we do that, we set ourselves up for failure. There was a question at the, we attended a conference this past weekend. There was a question there uh, that how do you encourage moms that are tired? I was asked that question. We shouldn't be those who just tick a list of things and then find confidence in saying, this is who I am, this is my identity. Because when we do that, then we'll find ourselves resting in those things and truly, works will make us feel very tired. We need to have those things in perspective, meaning those things, like I say, don't identify us, and that's not where we find meaning. We find meaning in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That basically means that we, we, we place our confidence in what Jesus has done, not our works. We seek to find fulfillment in what Jesus has done, not our works. We'll get tired when we begin to feel like or to think that our identity is in the things that we do, and when we do them perfectly, we feel satisfied. Because the day we don't do them perfectly, we'll feel tired and frustrated. So, to all of us, I would say that it's possible to rest as believers, amen? It's possible to rest as believers in Christ Jesus, to place everything else in perspective. Even those of us who preach, those of us who are heads of household, it's possible for us to labor in our duties at the same time resting in Christ. There is a wave of 
false counsel has been given to many people in Africa regarding depression, regarding anxiety, and many young people are running to psychiatrists and psychologists and and when we sit down as pastors with some of these young people and listen to their stories, we quickly discover that they are not resting in Christ. A lot of our depression and anxiety and tiredness comes from the fact that we are only resting in identity Christianity. We are finding meaning in a lot of things and satisfaction in a lot of things and we quickly get tired because we're not performing well. Right. We feel depressed and are anxious because we're not meeting expectations. What we need is true circumcision, biblical Christianity, resting in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, only finding confidence in what he has done, such that when we fail and we don't meet expectations, it doesn't lead to depression, anxiety. It leads us back to the cross where our confidence lies. Let's pray.